0: Hey, good morning, church family. Glad to have you that are here in our worship center, and for those that are worshiping with us online, we are so glad to have you with us. We uh, started a series in the book of Job, and as Michael said, we're looking at uh, suffering, sovereignty, and faith. And if you have your Bibles open, we're going to start uh, at the end of the second chapter in the book of Job. So, uh, as you uh, came in, kind of getting settled in, why wasn't it great to see those testimonies about? Baptism, and uh, and then for uh, Don to be baptizing Evan. It's great to see people come to know Christ as Savior and take that next step of obedience in baptism. And so we go from the joy of what it's like of a person uh, having new life in Christ and being baptized to let's start talking about suffering, sovereignty, and faith. Hey, but we'll get through this, and it's going to be good. Now, uh, just to set the table for you, if you weren't here last week, uh, the Book of Job is about an individual by the name of Job who. Who was uh, a guy that sort of had it all? Uh, he had all kinds of possessions. Uh, he had 10 children. Uh, things were going well. He was well respected, in fact, the most respected man in the East, and uh, said he was blameless, upright, uh, feared the Lord, turned away from evil. And uh, there was a day when God was having a, a cabinet meeting, and Satan came by, asked him what he'd been doing. He said, "Hey, just going to and fro, looking for folks." And uh, when Satan is looking for people, he's looking to trip up people. He's looking to find people that uh, can uh, turn their loyalties from God. He's looking for people that he can convince them to curse God. Looking for those that would uh, see God as uncaring and unloving, and and so uh, God knows this, and He said, "Hey." Have you thought about my servant Job? And uh, he said, He's blameless, upright, fears God, uh, turns from evil. And Satan said, Well, no wonder he does that. He says, You've given him everything. You built a hedge of protection around him. He said, You drop that hedge of protection, he'll curse you to your face. So God said, Okay, tell you what, I'll give you the freedom to uh, touch his possessions and his family, but just don't touch him personally. No physical uh, harm to his body. So he did. And uh, he ended up, Job lost all of his possessions. All of his children were eating dinner together and a storm came by and wiped all of them out. So he lost all of his children. He lost all of his possessions. And as he uh, was there, Satan waiting for him to curse God and die, he ended up saying, hey, I was naked when I came out of the womb. I'll be naked when I return back. Uh, Blessed be the Lord. God gives, God takes away. And he didn't sin. So then when Time passed, had another cabinet meeting. Satan showed back up at this one, went through the same conversation. God says, hey, about, how about Job? He's, hold, he's been holding fast to his integrity. He said, well, yeah, but skin for skin. You touch his body physically and mess with his health, he'll curse you. And so he said, okay, I'll let you do that. You just can't kill him. And so he uh, attacked his body and they said he had boils and sores and uh, his body was so racked with pain and, uh, and illness that he was disfigured, uh, high fevers, excruciating pain and so bad that he left his house, went down to the, the city dump and just there in the ashes of the city dump is where he lived. Even his wife said, just curse God and, uh, and die. But Job said, hey, Shall we accept the good from God and not also accept the trouble? And it says that he never sinned with his lips. And so this is what he's going through. And then three friends appear. And uh, chapter two, at the end of chapter two, talks about three friends that show up. So let's just read this for just a moment. And it says in verse 11, now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place. Eliphaz, uh, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Namorite, they made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and to comfort him. Okay. Stay with me on that. That verse says their purpose was to show him sympathy and comfort. So They came, give me those two words. Why did they come? To show him what? Sympathy and comfort. Repeat after me. Sympathy and comfort. Or to make you feel better. Okay, so sympathy and comfort. This is why they came. Understand that. This is their purpose. And it says, and when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days, seven nights. No one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now, these guys did the right thing. They showed up. Other people didn't. They showed up. He's going through a tough time. Tragedy has happened. We're going to be there. That's a good point. Then when they got there and they saw his anguish, they tore their robes, they put dust on their head. What that meant is, is that we're mourning with you. That's a good thing. And then they sat for seven days in silence. And that's a good thing. Because in during that time, ancient traditions were that whenever somebody went through a tragedy and you came to them, you don't speak first. You wait till they talk. And so it was silent for seven days and they didn't say a word. That's good. And we learn from that. We need to be there for those that are going through hurt and going through suffering. And oftentimes it's just our presence and not some little trite statements or cute quotations that we give to them. Sometimes it's just, I don't know what to say, but I'm just here for you. Those are all the positives. And if it had stopped right there, ah, this would have been a a great story and a real short book, (laughs) But it turned out that they decided to speak. And once they opened their mouth, that's where everything fell apart. And uh, what we will see with these three friends is that um, they, uh, they really weren't in to the, to the sympathy and comfort for which they came. Now, what we're going to do today is we're going to cover chapter three all the way through 28. That is 26 chapters, and we're gonna read it verse by verse. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) At 26 chapters, you say, how can we do that? Listen, the nine o'clock crowd, they handled it. They made it, and we got out right on time. It is possible, because what we will do is we're going to take these men and, uh, and, and sort of summarize what they said. Okay, there are three guys. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. And there is a discourse that they give. So just kind of follow, this is the way the book goes. Eliphaz, he'll speak first and he'll say his stuff, Job will respond. Bildad will say his stuff, Job will respond. Zophar will say his, Job will respond. Second verse, same as the first, circle back around. Then Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. And then the third verse, it's just two of them, Eliphaz and Bildad, eight discussions in all, and responses by Job for each one of them. So when you get ready to lock into what these guys are doing, I want to go and give you a hint. These men, they are legalistic, judgmental, and they are condemning. And as they think they've come to give sympathy and comfort, what they do is they mix blame and shame, condemnation and judgment, They heap on loads of legalism, and to drive their point home, they resort to sarcasm, finger pointing, and argumentation. There is no comfort, there is no sympathy, and these are friends. Now listen, when you're getting ready to have hospital visitation, these are not the guys you wanna take with you. These are the guys that need to stay at home. So to show you a little bit of of who they are, There is a verse, chapter 5, verse 27, and the man Eliphaz, when he speaks, after he gives his first discourse, this is what he says. We have studied life and found all of this to be true. Listen to my counsel and apply it to yourself. Bottom line, the three of us, we know what we're talking about. We're the smartest guys on the block. If you just listen to us, do what we tell you, everything will be right. Don't you love those people? And when you see what they all they say, there's going to be a battle between them and Job. Because their purpose is to show him what he's done wrong and then for him to get it straightened out. And then once he's done that, then everything will be better. Now, in this message, we're going to break it into two sections. One, myths of suffering from the friends. The things that the friends said these are myths. They are not true about suffering. And then we're going to close it out by talking about truths from suffering that come from Job. Is from his responses. Are you ready? Number one, the first myth, number one, all suffering is because of sin. Key word is all. The first myth about suffering is that all suffering is because of sin. Now, realize they have sat there for seven days in silence. Some of us couldn't even do that. And so all of a sudden, Job speaks up. Chapter three, he says, you know what? It'd been best if I just wasn't born. I'm going through so much suffering. I'm miserable. It'd just been better if I just never born. Well, that was the cue. Now the friends can start talking. So in chapter four, Eliphaz speaks up. Just think about this. Seven days they've not spoken. This is what he says. Stop and think. Do the innocent die? And when have the upright been destroyed? My experience shows that those who plant trouble and cultivate evil will harvest the same. A breath from God destroys them and they vanish in a blast of anger. He's saying this to Job. Job, if you're innocent, why are you in this predicament? My observation is that people who suffer like this, they've got sin in their life. And God doesn't punish the innocent, but he rewards the righteous. However, since you are suffering, you must have sinned. And this is what all three of them go with, and this is the bottom line. The only reason you're suffering is because you've sinned. And he said, it's just as clear as as night and day. And he says, that's your bottom line. And if you'll just admit that you're sinned, ask for forgiveness of sin then you'll be forgiven. Everything will work out. Well, the difficulty with this is Job was not suffering because of a sin. There wasn't anything in particular that he had done. It was when God got, and Satan got together and, and Satan was sitting there wanting to, to go after someone and God is looking at, at Job as his trophy of grace. And he said, you go after him because I know that he will not curse me. And so here Job, he says, I can't think of anything that I've done, there is no sin. And so he says, I've not done anything. Well, next guy, Bildad, chapter eight, steps it up a little bit. And he says in chapter eight, verse two and four, how long will you go on like this? You sound like a blustering wind. In our language, he says, you sound like a big windbag. Now that's comforting uh, for someone. He says, does God twist justice? Does the Almighty twist what is right? Your children must have sinned against him so their punishment was well deserved. This is a man who just buried 10 of his children and this friend looks at him and says, hey, they died and they should have died because there must have been sin in their life and so that's why they died. We're here for comfort and sympathy. Just wanted to let you know that on that. And so then what Bildad does is he says, since you won't admit that you sinned, you're gonna continue suffering. Bottom line is you got what you deserved. And when Job would give in and agree with them that his sin was causing his suffering, then everything will work out. But he didn't. And he responded back to him. Well, now they're piling on again. Eliphaz chapter 22 says, is it because you're so pious that God accuses you and brings judgment against you? No, it's because of your wickedness and there's no limit to your sins. Oh my gosh. (laughs) We started out thinking that I sinned. Now they're saying there's no limit to your sins. You're just sinning over and over and over. And then they said, well, since you're not gonna own up to the observable sins, there must be a secret sin that's in your life. Job 22, 12 through 13 God is so great, higher than the heavens, higher than the farthest stars, but you replied, Job, that's why God can't see what I'm doing. How can he judge through the thick darkness? So they're saying, listen, if you're suffering, you can bank on it that it's either a public sin or it's a secret sin that is causing this suffering. And because of this belief, these three friends pile on. And I encourage you to read through this. And if you read through everything that they said, this is what they said to their friend Job who was going through all this suffering. They said, Job, you deserve more punishment than you have received. Job, you lack integrity. You're worthless. You're deceitful. You're ignorant. You're empty-headed. You're arrogant. You exploit and oppress the poor. And then Bildad even said, Job, you don't even know God. This is a definition of comfort and sympathy. Uh, that's amazing. This is what they're saying to him because they have started with the baseline that all suffering is because of sin and they're going to keep hammering him until he finally gives in and says, oh yeah, it must be this that I've gotten. And they just make things worse and worse and more accusatory. Myth number two is this. The wicked cannot go unpunished in this life. Myth number two The wicked cannot go unpunished in this life. Key is in this life. Are you ready? Bildad, Job 18, five through six says this. Surely the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. The sparks of their fire will not grow. The light in their tent will grow dark and the lamp hanging above them will be quenched. That's judgment. And he says, a part of the argument that all judgment is caused by sin is the belief that the wicked cannot go unpunished throughout life. Listen, God has to punish people who are evil and do wicked things here on this life. Well, if you understand that, if you believe that, then what you say is, okay, Job, you're suffering. So since you're suffering, it means that you must be wicked because God's going to punish everyone that's wicked. Thus you are sinning. And this is why you're suffering. But if you go to the very next chapter, what Job did was he went against that. And uh, he said, um, no. Uh, he said, yes, there is some truth that this happens on earth, that God does punish the wicked, but, he, but everyone doesn't get punished. And he, and he says in, in his response, there are some people who are just godless people who everything goes right for them. They've got good health. Their job does well. They live all their years, then they die. Their kids are good. Their kids are healthy, make good grades, make starting lineup on the teams. And uh, no, no. They may not go unpunished in this life, but God's word says that they will be punished in eternity. But yes, there are, it is not a guarantee that every person that is evil or godless will be punished here on earth. Now, there is a truth that sin has consequences. And God does punish wickedness and evil. But Job is just letting us know, it doesn't always happen right here to where we see it on earth, but it will happen into eternity. So he says, you cannot say that all suffering is due to wickedness and sin. Yes, when I do evil, I do wrong. If I'm wicked, there are consequences that go with that. And God will judge that. Sometimes it's here, but it'll definitely be happening in eternity. But you cannot say every piece of suffering is due to that. The third myth is this. Suffering's only purpose is repentance of sin. Sin's only purpose is repentance of sin. Over and over, these guys will say, if you'll just go to the Almighty, confess your sin and repent, everything will be taken care of. Your suffering will be done. And I'm telling you, if Job had sin in his life that was causing this, he would have been the first in line to go and confess it and repent of it. But he says, I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's nothing that's going on in my life that would, it, it, that would have this amount of pain and suffering to me. And I just can't go before God and just make something up. And he said, there has to be another purpose for this suffering. Yes, some suffering is due to our personal sin and yes, we are to confess those sins and we're to repent and to turn from those sins. Yes, that is true. However, you cannot dumb down suffering and say that's the only purpose and the only purpose is repentance of sin. If you do, you will miss the purpose. There's all kind of passages throughout the New Testament of where of where. God allowed suffering and trials to come into lives so that people can be shaped into the image of Christ so that we can go through difficult times so that we can learn more about who God is and to give us a a stronger walk with him. And it's it's all throughout the New Testament. And so suffering, when you think about suffering, the only purpose is not repentance of sin. There are other things that God wants to teach us. Now there was a great insight from Warren Wearsby when he looked at this passage. And listen to what he says. He says, Job was actually a threat to his friends. His experience challenged the validity of their cut and dried theology. Because you see, if Job was right with God, then something was wrong with their faith. And this means that what happened to Job could happen to them. You see, these three men are looking at a man who has suffered terribly. And they're looking around and they're saying, hey, it's got to be sin. It's got to be sin, man. We want to stay away from that sin. And Job's comes back and says, it's not sin. There's nothing that I've done that has brought this on. Then all of a sudden, if you're one of those three, you look around and you say, so this could, could happen to me? Something like this could, could happen in my life? And they don't want to say that. They want to feel a lot more confident to say, yeah, he, he's done wrong. That's why, why it's happened. And a lot of times we can take security and that when somebody's going through difficult times and somebody's going through suffering and, and all this, for us to stand back and say, wow, something's going on in their life that, uh, that God is, is, getting, uh, is uh, paying them back for. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily at all. And if we go with that myth, then we begin to lose out any way that we can provide comfort and sympathy for them. Because we've already judged them and then we start making wrong assumptions just as they made wrong assumptions. Oh man, you're not taking care of the poor. You're exploiting other people. Everything that you've done in your life has been a sham and you're arrogant and you're on and on and on. For these three... Just the reality that some things could happen in their life, even though they would be walking in lockstep with God, that would have, that threw them, that would have thrown them for a loop. And we just need to understand, as we look at, at Job's life, our goal is to live and to walk in lockstep with Jesus Christ. And God is going to be the one that wants to shape us and mold us. And along that journey, he is going to allow some suffering to take place. And it's not because we've done some dumb things. But it is just some trials that will come. And then we're going to see a little bit later about what will happen, you know, through those trials. So these are myths, okay? And his friends were off base on there. So what are the truths? Well, look what Job says. These are the truths on suffering from Job. What do we learn from his life? Number one is this, confront and refute false teaching and theology, Write this one down, and that is confront and refute false teaching and theology. Now, he's getting beat up, being poured down on them. Look what he says in chapter six. He says, Stop assuming my guilt, for I've done no wrong. Do you think I'm lying? Don't I know the difference between right and wrong? Then they pile on a little bit more. Then he comes in Job 13. Look what he says here. As for you, you smear me with lies. As physicians, you are worthless quacks. (laughs) If only you could be silent. That's the wisest thing you could do. You want to exert wisdom? Just be quiet. And then finally, after they just beat up on him, he comes to Job 21, 34. How can your empty cliches comfort me? All your explanations are lies. Thank you, Job man, you're just getting beat up and beat up and I'm just wanting to jump up out of the ash heap and and work on some of those guys, you know? And and he did. He finally comes up and he says, I'm just gonna share you with my words and tell you, you're just wrong. And this is real important because whenever people go through suffering, there is all kind of bad non-theological stuff out there, non-biblical stuff that people will throw in your face. And I just encourage you that when you get it and you compare it to Scripture, if it's wrong, just confront it as wrong. And just say, hey, I'm sorry, that's just not right. And I'm not, I'm not gonna go down that road. I'm not gonna buy that lie, all right? Second is this. Ask why without abandoning who you are asking. Now write it down, we'll make it a little sense. You can ask why, it is okay to ask why without abandoning who you are asking. It's okay to ask God why, just don't abandon the God that you serve. Job 10.2 says, I will say to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why you contend against me. God, don't condemn me. I'm still coming to you, God. All I want to know is why. And there will be some times when we just do not understand the why. We talked about this uh, last Sunday when we said our viewpoint is a pinpoint. God's viewpoint is panoramic. And so sometimes we do not understand, but there's no problem with us asking why. Seek his face, desire to gain understanding, but make sure you don't abandon your belief in the one true God. Don't abandon the belief in him. Remember we talked about that either you'll lower your view of God or you'll elevate your faith in him. Do not lower your view of God. Keep that strong. Number three, prepare to endure silence. Prepare to endure silence. Job said, 19.7, Behold, I cry out, violence, but I'm not answered. I call for help, but there is no justice. You see, Job's inability to get an explanation from God made him more frustrated and angry. And sometimes God's silence is worse than his voice because we just don't know what he is going to say. And when all of life is falling apart around you and you ask, God, what is all this about? And no answer comes. It can leave you broken, exhausted, and confused. And anyone that's gone through any type of suffering, I believe, can understand silence. Because when something bad happens or some difficult situation, God doesn't just come the next five minutes and say, hey, hey, you know what you're going through? Let me explain to you why you're going through that. He just doesn't work that way, does he? There's a silence that takes place, and we need to be able to endure that silence and say, okay, God, I'm going to walk through the silence, and I'm going to put my trust in you. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his writing, in A Grief Observed, shared this. Meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you're happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate and when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside, and after that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. This is not that God doesn't care. This is God is developing us, our trust and our faith. Philip Yancey put it this way. The kind of faith that God values seems to develop best when everything fuzzes over, when God stays silent, and when the fog rolls in. That is the kind of faith that God values. So, Number four is this, lean on God's faithfulness. If I'm going through a time of suffering, Job says, lean on God's faithfulness. Job 23, verses eight through 10. He says, I look for him, but I cannot find him. I see him or perceive him, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come out like gold. He says, I'm looking for him, but I can't find him. I can't find his presence, but yet I still trust him. I don't understand his plan, but I still trust him. And he says, and when this trial is passed, he will come out like gold. He'll be deeper and richer for it. And let that be the divine filter that happens in your life. And that is God is sovereign, God is omniscient, and he knows the way that you are taking. Sometimes you say, I don't even think God knows where I live or what I'm doing or what I'm going through. Yeah, he does. He knows all that. He knows the way that you're taking. You just lean on his faithfulness. And number, number five, feed on God's word. Feed on God's word. Job 23, 11 through 12. He says, my foot has held fast to his steps. I've kept his way. I have not turned aside. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. In fact, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. This explains how He's endured. Even as he questions while this is happening, guess what he does? He continues to follow God. He continues to follow his commandments. He continues to take God's word, and he takes them as his portion. And it's even more valuable than food itself. And this is how he has endured. And this is our challenge. And that is when we go through suffering, he says we are to trust him. We wait on him. We serve him. We keep our our feet on his paths. We treasure his word and whatever God desires, that is what he does. We keep leaning on him, even though we might not understand what he's up to. Lean on his faithfulness, feed on God's word, and last of all, embrace your mediator, Jesus Christ. Embrace your mediator, Jesus Christ. Job said in 933, if only there were a mediator between us, someone who could bring us together. You know, he has been trying to get an audience with God. It's like a courtroom. He says, just put me up there, Lord. Come on, bring me into the court of law. Let me share my case with you because I don't think I'm suffering justly. And he said, I'm not getting an answer from God. And he said, what if we just had a mediator? What if there was someone who could put his hand on me and put his hand on God and he could be our mediator? And allow me to be able to share this. Well, it looked like he was looking forward to the New Testament because that's exactly what Jesus Christ is. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Paul says this, for there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. Why is he the mediator? It's because when Jesus came from, came from heaven to earth, he was 100% God and 100% man. And thus, he understood he could have one hand on man, he could have one hand on God. And he went to the cross to die for our sins, to pay for that penalty, to pay for that sin penalty. And it was raised from the dead. And when that happened, he conquered sin and he conquered death and he gave us an opportunity to come into a relationship with God. And so we're that mediator and you're sitting here saying, just like uh, Evan's testimony, there's got to be more to this. Well, let me tell you, Jesus has gone before you and through Christ, you can come into God's family and be a part of His family and to live with Him for eternity. That is great news. And when we're looking for a mediator, some we can go to with our hurts and with our pains and saying, God, I want to cry out to you. We have a mediator, it is Jesus Christ. He says He is the high priest who's constantly uh, interceding for us and the fa- uh, between us and the Father. We have that mediator. And when you look at Job, he says, oh, if I just had a mediator, guess what we do? And so as I'm going through these difficult times of suffering and trial, I am to embrace Christ and embrace that mediator and know that I can come to him and that he can give me comfort and that his mercy is greater than my misery. And no matter what maze of misery I'm going through, he has enough mercy to see me through that. And when Job wraps up his discussion with all, of, all these, of these three friends right here, that's where he's leaning on. He's leaning on the faithfulness of God and he's feeding on God's word. And uh, he says, I don't understand what's happening, but I'm not throwing God under the bus. I'm gonna stick with him. The book of Job opens in the throne room of heaven and the cool thing about it is as the story progresses, God never abandons the throne He is still on the throne. I heard a song uh, when I was riding in today, and uh, Jason Gray, and the name of the song is Remind Me You're Here. Let me just read a portion of this. He says, None of my pain has ever caught you by surprise. Still, it's hard to trust you when I'm lost in the wondering why. But I'll trade every question just to lay down and rest in your heart, and I'll reach for your hand though you led me here into the dark. And I won't ask you for reasons, because a reason won't wipe away tears. No, I don't need all the answers. Just be here beside me. Father, remind me you're here. I hope for all of us that are walking through hard times, going through any type of suffering or trials, that we'll always remember that the presence of God is with us. And there will be things we do not understand. And there will be hurts and pains and there will be some why questions that we ask. But that does not change who God is. That does not change the character of God. And he will be there. He is there. He has love. He has compassion. He has mercy. And he will guide you through this. And if you will trust him, you will come just as what Job said, I will come as gold. I will be better for it when I come through the end. And we're going to talk more about that as we get down the road. Let me lead us in a word of prayer, folks. Lord, we thank you that you give us such a strong word uh, about what takes place in suffering and how we can respond. And Lord, I thank you that we've got both suffering, sovereignty, and faith all put together. And that in the midst of whatever suffering that people are going through, that are listening to this message, that the sovereignty of God is there and that you are in control. And then, Lord, you're using this to be able to refine our faith. And even as you were doing this with Job and refining his faith, we pray that we would be um, instruments of yours that would be open and willing to go through this refining process. And so I pray for each person here, Lord. I pray for specific, specifically for those who do not know Jesus as Savior, that today that could be their time to make that decision, to receive him, and to uh, be able to, Walk a new path, walking according to your word. And for others, Lord, that are walking through really difficult times as we're suffering, and whether it's, a, it's a, a national suffering of some of the pain that people are going through or it's individuals' pain, that, Father, we can look to you and know that you have got this and you are over it all. And we wanna put our faith and hope in you, the all-powerful, omniscient God. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.